do you want to live? Do you want to live in your own world of restriction, fear, cognitive fear, where all you can think about is food, where you obsess over food? No, probably not. You want to be able to go out and enjoy a meal with your family and not sit there and obsess. Mm-hmm. Should there be nutritional compromises if you want to diet? Absolutely. Nutritional compromises and rules are two different things. It's going to be less achievable if you are following a specific diet where it's going to eliminate foods, where it's going to put rules and regulations on what you can and can't eat. I describe it, talking about my own history with this crap, is claustrophobia. It's just claustrophobic. You can't do anything. You're just like this little ball of tight stress all the time because there's all of these rules. Rules, as you've said, is different than restraint, holding yourself accountable. Hey there, welcome to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. I'm Brooke. And hello, I'm Iris. On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. How you doing, Brooke Madigan, coach extraordinaire and friend? Oh, you're too kind. I'm doing good. I'm doing good, except I have a little, a sick kiddo with me today. So if anybody Mm. hears nose blowing in the background, that's him. It happens. (laughs) That's life. Life of a mom. Yeah. Which we will talk about in another podcast because moms have it different than the average childless, somewhat newly married person, which is me. (laughs) (laughs) There's a list of challenges that come with it, which cannot be ignored, but also, as Brooke knows, does not make life impossible or reaching goals impossible. It does not. It does not make your like really any of your goals, it just makes them a little bit more challenging. You got to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more expendable with your time. But, or I should say expendable. (laughs) I meant to fish. (laughs) I have been up since like 5 a.m. It's 9.30 here right now. And I've had one cup of coffee and a Diet Coke. And my brain, I'm trying to ease up on the caffeine a little bit. So my brain's a little mwah today. (laughs) Well, that is not what we are talking about today, momming, although we will at some point. Today, I thought it would be cool to go over some diet red flags, diet culture red flags. Now, I know, and we can talk about this another time, but I know that diet culture has like different meanings for everybody. Like everybody has their own experiences, you know, emotional reactions to various diet things. But I think we can all agree (laughs) that there are some red flags to watch out for. Because tis the season for people hunting around for a diet, you know, to make some changes in their weight, maybe lifestyle, etc. So I want to go over them today. And I have compiled a little bit of a list. I did some homework. I know we could talk about this for like a month. And we probably will come back to it at some point. But I have a little list of things to think about and watch out for when you come across a diet that you're thinking about trying. As a general thought around these parts we don't really do diets. We're not anti-diet across the board. We are anti-bullshit, and there's a lot of bullshit tied along to a lot of diets that are preached very dogmatically, like this is the one and only way. Before we do that, though, we have to understand the mechanism by which some diets, quote-unquote, work. 
So, Brooke, take it away. So, first, I think it's important to understand why people go on diets. And that Mm. is because they want to decrease their body weight or body fat. So, a lot of times what people do is they will look up a specific diet and especially ones that eliminate food groups or like cut things out. They go and turn to that because they think that it quote unquote works. But a lot of people don't know why it works. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think it's important to decipher this now is so our listeners can understand like why people diet and why do certain diets quote unquote work. And I say quote unquote because we, we can get to that later in the episode, but there's a reason why people will see results with things like cutting out food groups um, and things like that. And that is because it is putting your body into a caloric deficit. So a calorie deficit is eating less calories than your body needs to maintain its current body weight. So one way to get yourself into a calorie deficit is to eliminate food groups. When you eliminate a food group like carbohydrates, fats, I mean, never eliminate protein, please. But there are diets that do, which is not, I don't recommend. I don't recommend eliminating any food from your diet, but we'll talk about that later. When you eliminate a food or a food group, you're also eliminating calories. So you're naturally eliminating calories, which is going to naturally put you into a calorie deficit. So can you lose body fat? Can you lose weight without a calorie deficit? No. And you can eliminate a food group and replace those calories with something else. And as long as, you know, you're not in a calorie deficit by doing that, you're not going to lose weight. Exactly. And then the opposite is for gaining weight. So if you eat more calories than your body needs to maintain its current weight, which your BMR is included, your total daily energy expenditure is taken into account, it gets it gets sciencey, guys. What is BMR for the listeners? Basal metabolic rate. So it's really the amount of calories your body needs to just perform basic functions like breathing, like digesting food, you know, to keep the lights on as, mm-hmm. if, you know, that's kind of the basic way to put it. So you have to factor in a multitude of things to figure out what somebody's maintenance calories are. Maintenance calories are what your body needs just to maintain its current weight. So eating less than that is a deficit. Eating more than that is a surplus. And then eating at maintenance means eating the amount of calories your body needs to maintain its weight. So I just wanted to clarify that first and foremost before going into further this episode mainly because it can get a little bit confusing when we start throwing around terms if you've never if you've never heard the term calorie deficit before. So just want to yes. clarify that first. Yes. And I want to add real quick, yeah. those ranges that Brooke just said, you know, deficit, maintenance, surplus, they're ranges, right? They're not hard numbers. It's not, not for example, yeah, it's not like you eat 2,000 calories only ever and that's your maintenance and anything above that is a surplus and anything lower than that is a deficit. It's a range. Usually you have a couple hundred calories, you know, and when we get into deficit territory or surplus territory, there's like little moderate deficit or surplus and then a big, crazy, probably unsustainable deficit and surplus. So it's not a hard static number. Just wanted to put that out there as well because I think that's a misconception that people have. Yes, and thank you for doing that because I it totally slipped 
my mind. It, you know, for me with what I think comes naturally to people it does not come naturally to people. It just mm-hmm. naturally to me because it's my living. But yes, so people have caloric ranges. So you need to take into account when it comes to like your total daily energy expenditure. One of those ranges is your NEAT. And your NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is just a fancy way of saying all of the little movement that is not structured exercise that you do every day, walking to your car if you're at the grocery store, fidgeting while you're on a work meeting, you know, little things like that where you're moving around, cleaning your house, you know, walking your dog. Those are things that are your NEAT. And some days, if you're moving a little bit less or a little bit more, your body's going to expend a different number of calories. So just like your daily total energy expenditure is not the exact same every single day, neither are your calories consumed. Some days, if you move a little bit less, you're going to burn a little less calories. Other days, if you move a little bit more, you're going you're gonna to burn a little more calories. Now, that's why we have ranges of calories because your body, we're never going to know the absolute 100% total daily energy expenditure that we have. We are always fluctuating, yeah. always fluctuating. And it is so not worth stressing about figuring out exactly those fluctuations at any point in time. That's why we have a range. That's focusing on specifics when we really need to just focus on the basics, which is your range. You know, your, your range is the basics. And I always recommend people have like a 100 to 200 calorie range that they kind of stick with above or below their deficit number. But Getting back to the original point, like when you eliminate a food group, you are eliminating calories from your diet. So you are going to lose weight. So anytime someone has said like, oh, well, I did keto and I, it worked for me, I lost weight. I'm going to just start this podcast off saying, because if you, if you agree with me, you're going to keep listening. If you don't, you're going to be like, bye, bitch. But any diet that requires you to eliminate a food is not a diet you really need to be on. Right. It's not going to be sustainable. And if a diet quote unquote works for you, but you get off of the diet and gain all of your weight back and maybe more, it didn't work. Right. A diet that works is one that you should be able to do for the long term, forever. It should be your lifestyle. If a diet works, it may have worked for you temporarily, but if you can't maintain that, then it didn't really work. You should have to go back to it. And so- mm-hmm. Eliminating foods and food groups, you know, it's a red flag because it can cause a lot of disordered patterns and behaviors around food as well. And it can most certainly affect your mental state. It can affect your relationship with food. And I don't think a lot of people take that into consideration when they hear the term diet. They immediately think of a name. So I would add to the red flag list. If a diet has a name, it's probably a red flag. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think really that just becomes a breeding ground for fear of that certain food. You know, I mean, that's the whole, not the whole, but that's a great fuel behind the keto fire, which for the listener, like this is just a very obvious example of a diet that cuts out food groups. So we use it a lot because it's just waiting to be used. It's just right there. (laughs) The fuel behind the keto fire is the fear of carbs, which have no reason to be feared, Mm. but People are so dogmatic about this and so fearful of the quote-unquote effects of carbs. What effects of carbs? I saw an ad the other day for something. Now Brooke is laughing because she saw this on my Instagram. I was like, it was so stupid. I saw this magazine at the checkout. 
about this guy who, by the way, he's a plastic surgeon on some reality show. He's not even like a doctor with anything to do with nutrition. Touting this mineral that, quote unquote, blocks the effects of carbs. Okay, first of all, what effect? <laughs> what effect needs to be blocked? None. <laughs> you know, slight tangent, but it diets that cut out an entire food group just teach you that you need to be afraid of that food. And there's no reason to be. As long as you are in a calorie deficit, you can eat whatever you want. You just may not be able to eat all of it all the time. Absolutely. There are reasons for macronutrients. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like, you guys, the diet industry is fucked up. Like, it wants you to buy supplements. It wants you to buy these protein chips and these protein bars and, you know, protein pancakes. When in reality, when you actually fucking know what a true serving size of protein should be at a meal, it's not very much. Mm -hmm. Carbs specifically, people will do something like the keto diet or they will eliminate carbohydrates and not realize the, the initial weight loss that you lose, that initial big whoosh, uh, initial. I know what you meant. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting on a roll here. Do it. Initial weight that you lose is water weight, carbohydrate. It is in the word carbohydrate. A lot of people just think carbs, but they don't actually think of what a carb actually is. And it is a molecule with water attached to it. So when you lose weight, the initial weight loss, when you see, oh, so-and-so lost, you know, eight pounds in a week, it's because they lost a lot of water. Losing water is definitely not the same as losing body fat. Weight loss and fat loss are two different fucking things. And the reason why I am so passionate about this is because people get so fucking butthurt about the scale not moving. You can go to the bathroom, you can go pee and lose a pound. And people don't really realize that. And that's what happens when you eliminate carbs is you lose a lot of water weight. So what a lot of people do is they will eliminate carbs and then they will start obsessing about them. They will start mentally obsessing. Oh, I just wish I could have a cookie or, oh God, I wish I could have bread, but I can't eat bread. Or they're wrapping their cheeseburgers in lettuce or eating keto buns. But in reality, you can have a hamburger bun. Will it contain a little bit more water? Yeah. But it's not something worth stressing over either. No, it's not something worth stressing over. I've had people tell me that they will not eat carbs because they are afraid of gaining weight. And in reality, the only way you're going to gain weight is going back to what I mentioned in the beginning, and that's eating in a calorie surplus. It's eating more calories. Consistently. 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 Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Consistently. Because one day of going over your caloric budget is not going to affect you. That's kind of, think about it like money. If you have a budget and you go over it during the holidays, let's say you spend a little bit more money at the grocery store one week. Let's say that you go to the store and you spend $100 over what you would factor in. Let's say you needed things like paper towels or toilet paper, you know, things that you don't eat or the things that you need though. That's not going to make you go bankrupt. Just like eating 100 calories over your calorie deficit one day inconsistently isn't going to make you gain weight. So thank you for bringing that up because it is about consistency. People get so afraid of eating all foods and 
to where they restrict or eliminate foods because of this weight gain when in reality it's water. Right. It's it's water. And we fluctuate water every fucking hour of the day. <laughs> like anything, guys, the trend over time is what matters far more than any spike or dip or whoosh or whatever. You got to zoom out a little bit and look at the trend over time. Absolutely. And I think it's worth mentioning too, talking about overeating one day. So, I mean, let's look at the science for a second here. It takes 3,500 calories consumed to gain one pound of fat. That's a lot of food over their maintenance range, right? Over the high end of their maintenance range. Let's just use 2,000 as as a general number because it's easy to add and I'm really bad at math. Same though. Let's say that your body requires 2,000 calories to maintain its current weight and you end up eating 3,500 calories on top of that. That's 5,500 calories. That's a lot of calories. Can it be done? Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) It's actually not super hard to do depending on the types of foods you eat. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are consistently eating a diet that is 80% whole, minimally processed foods, and 20% your what we call fun foods, you're not going to go over 5,500 calories unless you're doing it on purpose. Now, if you're going to fast, you know, if you're getting like fast food several times a day, then yeah, that can add up. That can be really easy to achieve. But realistically, if you want to gain actively gain body fat, you are going to have to eat a lot consistently. Inconsistently, though, it's not going to affect you very much. Yeah. People overeat one day or for a couple days, and then the scale will spike because of stomach contents, because of water retention, because of stuff in your bowels that haven't evacuated yet. Undigested food, digested food. Stress. Stress. Sleep. Sleep. Uh, Lack of sleep. If we're eating a lot, sometimes we don't sleep as well because we don't feel great, you know? Absolutely. And even if you're recovering from like a challenging workout from the day before, if you Mm -hmm. had a really challenging lower body workout the day before, you're going, the scale is going to be up the next day because your body is going to retain water so it can repair the tissue and pull the water into the cells to repair the tissue. So there are a multitude of factors that are going to make you, quote unquote, gain weight or make the scale go up. Mm-hmm. And the automatic assumption a lot of times is that that is fat. But it's all the things I mentioned before. Exactly. And if you just pause for a second and then make the decision to continue on whatever sustainable path you were on before, it will come back down. It will even out. You'll lose that water. You'll go to the bathroom, you know. A lot of that excess fuel was burned off through heat. Just It doesn't take one time or even a few times to put on that much fat. It just doesn't happen that way. Absolutely. So I think part of it is, you know, coming back to reality with the scale. And I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but coming back to reality with the scale and what it's actually telling you and diets that eliminate an entire food group, oftentimes we'll see that big dip. And then people will think, oh, it must be because of those carbs or because of that whatever that I stopped eating. Not necessarily. It's water. Or, you know, you've been at it for a couple weeks. 
the scale's going down a bunch. It's not because of that food. It's because you removed that food and put yourself in a calorie deficit and stayed there consistently enough to, to see that scale go down. Yeah. And I would like to add, you know, moving into kind of the next point of diet red flags is when you eliminate a food or a food group that can't be sustainable for long-term. Any diet that you cannot sustain for long-term or for life, that's probably not the diet for you. Mm -hmm. Well, that or like any diet that makes quote unquote food rules, you know, right. There is nothing magical about intermittent fasting. There's nothing magical about, about it. I mean, realistically, the only time I am like, hey, yeah, intermittent fasting, go for it, is if somebody doesn't like to fucking eat breakfast. My fiance, he intermittent fasts without really realizing he's intermittent fasting. He just doesn't have his first meal. He doesn't label himself as that and treat it as a religion that he follows dogmatically. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Some people just can't really stomach breakfast in the morning, and that's okay. That's okay. But to put rules around food and have these specific, I don't even like to say guidelines because they're not guidelines. They are rules that you have to follow. That isn't really sustainable. Like think of holidays. If you tell someone like you have to eat between 12 and 8 p.m., like a lot of times, like Christmas morning, I personally like to make a big breakfast. And for someone to be like, I can't eat that because I have to have my first meal at noon. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I was an intermittent faster plus keto-ish for years. And that was so hard. That's miserable. It was miserable. And I did it because I thought I had to do it because I was taught to be afraid of carbs and I was taught to be afraid of breakfast. And I was told that if I ate before a certain time or outside of a certain hour's eating window, that, you know, I would just automatically pack on the fat. And the ironic thing was, is that was causing me to binge so often that I was packing on the fat. <laughs> yeah. I was just binging between my eating window, you know, so that worked out great. But, you know, that was one of the, the things that was such a big struggle is that like my husband and I like to go out for breakfast sometimes. But if I can't eat until 11, first of all, there goes our breakfast date. Second of all, I'm so freaking hungry by the time my eating window opens that I'm allowed to eat. I will and did often eat everything in sight because I'm just hungry, you know? Yeah. And that was a rule that I had placed on myself because I was listening to people who didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. But yeah, totally agree. Any diet that puts out rules, there are very few things in this space that are absolute rules, right? Calorie deficit is one of them. Uh, another one just to throw out there is like the stimulus needed to grow muscle is another one. We know that. But beyond that umbrella of like, these are the basic truths, do whatever the fuck you want. If you don't, if you genuinely like don't like carbs, couldn't care less about bread or potatoes, I think you're a psychopath, but you don't have to eat them. You know, if you're not hungry in the morning, if you don't feel good working out in the morning on a full stomach, you don't have to. You don't have to not eat carbs if you like them. You don't have to eat breakfast if you don't care about it. You don't have to skip breakfast if you want it. The only thing I really tell people is if you do not like to eat breakfast in the morning, eat when you start to feel a little bit hungry. Mm -hmm. The only other suggestion that I make is try not to eat two hours before you go to bed. And that's not because it's some magical fat burning secret. It's because it's going to be harder for your body to digest food when you're sleeping. 
That's it. And those aren't even rules. That's just a suggestion. And I think when people start to create these hard and hard rules around food, people become obsessed with it. And it's like telling a toddler, don't press the red button. All a toddler is going to think about is pressing the red button, not to compare anybody yeah. to a toddler. But like, if you say, don't think of a pink elephant, you're going to think of a pink elephant. And if you're creating all of this restriction in your life, are you living? That's the philosophical question of the day. <laughs> No, you're not. It's the philosophical answer. <laughs> if you're so, that was one on my list is that if it consumes all of your mental energy, and this is any diet, by the way, this is like counting macros. If counting macros is so consuming your brain that you can't enjoy life, you can't do anything without trying to fit in the Tetris of the perfect macros, quote unquote, which don't exist, by the way, then don't count macros. It's just a tool. It's not an absolute. And that goes for anything. And that is one thing that we see a lot is mm -hmm. people on these diets that put breakfast off limits or put carbs off limits or even the, like the super, super low fat, you know, people have different preferences, of course, but a lot of people like that stuff and putting them off limits just causes them to just go in circles and circles and circles in their minds all the time. And that's not a life. That is not good. No, not at all. And I think Another red flag is companies that prepare and make food for you to eat that's specific to their company. Right. Like 3010 or like weight loss for life. I've had so many clients do that and Octavia. be successful. Octavia. Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig Nutrition. Is Jenny Craig still around? Jenny Craig is still around. Jeez. Still around. And any company that makes a specific line of food specific to them. That is not designed for your success in mind. How are you supposed to transition off of that? How are you right. to go back to normal eating? And I think a lot of people forget like these companies are in business to make money. They don't fucking care about you. I'm sorry to say that. That sounds terrible. But these companies have an agenda. And I think it's important to remember that like they don't work if you can't eventually get off of it and transition to normal life. You should start eating for normal life and figure out what it takes for you to be in a calorie deficit. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know where to start, like you can follow Iris, you can follow me on social media, you know, work with a coach, do something that's going to help you and give you the guidance to actually reach your goal instead of these companies that want your money. Mm-hmm. That was another one of mine was anything that offers this one particular thing as the solution, right? Prepared meals, meal substitute shakes. Not that there's anything wrong with a protein shake at all, but I'm talking specifically about like Octavia, things that just mail you the the meal replacement shakes that isn't like, I mean, let's be fit, let's be real here, isn't satisfying filling food. It doesn't teach you how to eat apple cider vinegar gummies, you know, eat one a day and whatever, all your problems will be solved. The quote unquote magic solution to your weight loss hopes that it doesn't exist. Sorry. <laughs> A sustained calorie deficit, however you want to create one, is that magic pill. It's not a gummy. It's not a specific workout. And realistically, it's not magic, guys. It's science. No, <laughs> no, it's not. There is evidence. It is an evidence-based practice. 
it's the law of thermodynamics. You can create that however you want. You can order from Nutrisystems. You can do keto. You can do all of this. But I just, we really want you to know why you think that they work. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to eat that way if you don't want to. Making sure that you are getting enough minimally processed whole foods, eating a lot of those foods and just limiting the foods that you may classify as quote unquote junk food making sure you're eating things that make you feel good. Yeah. Super important. And knowing that processed and processing can be something as simple as cooking a food. So when people dive into, I'm going to open Pandora's box here. When people start to label foods, clean, dirty, good, bad, any diets that do that. Mm -hmm. That was one of mine too. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Perfect. Food labeling. Yeah. Great minds. Think alike. (laughs) Any diet that labels foods as good or bad or clean or dirty, those are not going to be diets that I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of diet systems use food labeling in sneaky ways, like really kind of insidious ways to shame you for your choices. Like I know one labels food as like red food, like don't eat it bad, red, stop. And green food, like go ahead, good. A certain diet system has a point system, which makes no sense if you actually look at the, look at the food. Uh, there's a couple of them with like varying point systems that like, you know, zero point foods you can eat endlessly and like whatever point foods you have to limit in certain ways. And when you actually look at the list, it just makes no sense nutritionally. Exactly. <laughs> it's, I don't know where they, how they came up with it, but like one of them says a banana, like a banana is a certain amount of points. But if you mash the banana, do nothing to it except mashing the banana, it's more points. So you have to eat less of it that way. It just makes no sense. I don't get it. It's hilarious and sad at the same time. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know, right? But just being aware of food systems that label things as, like you said, clean food, which hasn't even really been defined. Nobody even knows what that means. People just like to shame people by using clean food. We do that to ourselves too, by the way. So just be aware of how you talk about stuff to yourself. (laughs) Clean foods, junk foods, that kind of thing can really play havoc in your mind. You know, we throw these words around without really thinking about what they mean, but we pick up on it, I think, a lot more than we accept. Absolutely. And The way that I like to categorize food now, because you might be thinking, well, then what do we call it? Because you can't deny that like some foods have more nutrients and some don't. Yeah. And I like to label food as less nutritious and more nutritious. Yeah. Same. What has more nutrients? What has less nutrients? What can you recognize from the original source and what can't you? Like you're not going to look at a box of Cheez-Its and and know like like Cheez-Its don't grow out of the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, but you certainly can recognize what an apple looks like off of the tree. You know, just eating more foods that you can recognize, you know, or eating foods that make you physically feel good, foods that make you feel energized, foods that give you vitamins and minerals and nutrients, you know. So using terms like less nutritious and more nutritious, I have found for me personally and with my clients to be exceptionally helpful. Mm-hmm. 
You know what kills me is the the people that are like, I don't eat anything with ingredients that I can't pronounce. I hate that. <laughs> oh my goodness. So the funniest part about that though is that if you Google what is the chemical compounds or what are the quote unquote ingredients of a banana, you're not gonna be able to fucking pronounce anything. No. <laughs> yeah. Like reverse uno, bitch. Yeah. Google certain foods that you would consider, quote unquote, whole foods and see if you can pronounce the ingredients because I can almost guarantee that you can't because I fucking can't. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those uh, <laughs> kind of useless fear mongering tactics that I see everywhere. And again, makes no sense. I don't eat chemicals. Like you, oh my God. you are made of chemicals, bitch. <laughs> made of chemicals. What do you think digests your food? Yeah. Chemical compounds that are derived in the human body, that are created in the human body. You ever drink water? Water. Dihydrogen monoxide. <laughs> you ever drink coffee? Chemicals. Exactly. Everything. We are laden with chemicals. Yeah. That is something that I think is super important to recognize. Is like, I don't eat anything with chemicals. Like, that's another one of those dogmatic food things that when you really boil it down, makes no sense. <laughs> it's also fear mongering. Like, you know, something bad is going to happen if you consume chemicals when like water itself is a chemical. I think that that leads into the another red flag, which is anything that blames one thing. And this kind of ties into all the other ones. It just it blames one thing as the problem. Right. Like carbs or sugar or fruit or gluten or whatever, you name it. it. It just dials it all down to one thing. And if you eliminate that, then you're fine. And with all of the psychological nonsense that goes along with that, like that's just not how it works. And how do you want to live? That's really what I want to ask people is like, how do you want to live? Do you want to live in your own world of restriction? Fear. Cognitive fear and harm to yourself where all you can think about is food, where you obsess over food? No, probably not. You want to be able to go out and enjoy a meal with your family and not sit there and obsess. Mm -hmm. Should there be nutritional compromises if you want to diet? Absolutely. Nutritional compromises and rules are two different things. Um, and I think that's important to establish. Like if I go out to eat with my family or when my, my in-laws are in town, they like to order appetizers. I would love to fucking go to Chowtown on a big old stack of onion rings. Like, do not get me wrong. I would love that. But if I'm also ordering like a burger and fries, I'm probably going to start with a salad because that's a nutritional compromise. Just because you can doesn't mean you always should. And that's something in a balanced diet for someone that is absolutely achievable. Is absolutely achievable, but it's going to be less achievable if you are following a specific diet where it's going to eliminate foods, where it's going to put rules and regulations on what you can and can't eat. If you notice that even with tracking calories, like I'm going to dive into the can of worms of like, even if you're tracking calories, there is a point where it can be too much for someone. Oh, absolutely. Disordered patterns, habits, and behaviors around food. There's absolutely room for that. But I think where people go wrong is when they read too much into it, when they allow the mental anguish that they're experiencing take over. 
I think that's kind of the fine line is you need to be able to realize that calorie tracking is a tool and not a way of life. Right. And that is that is one of the problems that I see with a lot of the more dogmatic approaches to diet is that they preach them as a way of life. But going back to your point, how do you want to live? Do you want to live in fear of carbs or fear of going out for breakfast or fear of, you know, having a snack in the evening after dinner? I describe it, talking about my own history with this crap, is claustrophobia. It's just claustrophobic. You can't do anything. You're just like this little ball of tight stress all the time because there's all of these rules. Rules, as you've said, and as we talked about, I think, in the one or two episodes ago, is different than compromises, nutritional compromises. It's different than restraint, restriction versus restraint, holding yourself accountable. And that takes some effort, which is another one of my red flags, I think, in in diet stuff is people who promise that it's going to be effortless. You know, just do this one thing and it'll be effortless and you'll never have to think about it again. And that's just not realistic. That's not how it works. You have to- It sucks. Period. Yeah. (laughs) Period. Yeah. It fucking sucks. Yeah. And people who promise, you know, just complete effortlessness, that's another huge red flag because first of all, you know, if if you try it and it's hard, then you're going to feel like a failure because it's not effortless for you. And the reality of of the whole game is that it takes effort, you know, when we've talked about before, so I'm not going to go on a whole tangent about it, is that, you know, we don't have to kill ourselves for this stuff. We don't have to like, you know, no excuses, grind till you drop kind of thing, but it's not completely effortless. You're going to have to put your head down and put some effort in, you know, be aware of your choices, practice some restraint, be accountable with yourself. That's just the way it is. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, any diet that promises you amazing results with minimal effort, is it's just full of shit. Yeah. Take an apple cider vinegar gummy every day God. in the morning and melt the fat away. Bro, people on TikTok, let me tell you, when I made a video about apple cider vinegar, oh, no. the amount of people that were fuming at me, I'm like, really? Really? Ask Michael Phelps if he takes apple cider vinegar. Yeah, come on. Like, I I don't understand. But realistically, Mm -hmm. you want to find what works for you as an individual, for you as a person. Build your diet around the foods that you like. That's what I tell people. Build the diets, build your diet around foods that you like and foods that you will tolerate because not everybody likes vegetables. Not everybody Mm -hmm. likes fruit, but you're a fucking grown up. And that sounds harsh, but it's true. Your body needs the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients in fruits and vegetables. And if there are some that you can tolerate, then eat them. Mm-hmm. Then eat them. I was literally just thinking about that last night. We had, I made salmon, brown rice, and broccoli. I don't super love broccoli. Like, it's not my favorite. There are vegetables that I love, and there are vegetables that I'm like, eh, I'll eat them because they're good for me. And broccoli is one of them. And that is one of those moments, like you said, I'm a grown fucking adult. Like I, I eat vegetables. <laughs> yeah. It's good for me. I mean, I get a lot of questions. This is kind of like a side note. Like I get a lot of questions because if you do follow me on Instagram, you know that I have a little boy and he's awesome. He's fucking cool. His name's Micah. And I get people all the time that will see like my dinners that I make and they'll see him eating like a little salad. 
you know, and I, I'd have to tell him, you know, yeah, vegetables, like they, they help our body feel good. So we, they give us vitamins. So we need to eat our vegetables and people are always astounded that he'll eat his vegetables. And it's because even if I don't necessarily like the specific vegetable, like more tolerate it than like it. And I eat it. He is watching that and he is doing it now. If my nine-year-old can eat a vegetable, you can also eat a vegetable. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll end on this. I I mean, I could go on all day about red flags <laughs> in the diet industry. I know we both could. Is that trial and error, you know? Buy some vegetables. See if you like them. Try different ways to prepare them. You know, a little olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic powder, onion powder, it does a wonderful thing to vegetables, especially the green ones. That's like the only way I make asparagus, green beans, Brussels sprouts, uh, what other green ones are there? Cabbage. Oh, I love That's like all I do to it. And it's really, really good. And it's a vegetable. (laughs) So you have to like try things. And you know what? You might try a certain vegetable a few ways and just not like it. And that's okay. You know how many vegetables there are in the world? There are a lot. There's a lot. There's going to be a handful that you like and you can rotate through them, experiment with them and eat them because you're a grown ass adult and it's good for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How did we get on this t- vegetable tangent? <laughs> I mean, we, we got on a couple of tangents today, but I'm OK with it. Mm-hmm. I'm OK with it. So if you're listening, you're like, where am I going with this? And, and by all means, like I can't speak for Iris, but I can speak for myself and I am not anti-diet. I am anti-fad diet. Right. Like I, I'm a coach. I help people lose body fat for a living. You know, um, I also help them gain muscle and maintain, but for the most part, a majority of the clients that come and see me are like weight loss clients and body fat loss clients. So I am anti-fad diet, not anti- diet because a diet is really just what you consume eating in a calorie surplus can be a diet diet just isn't exclusive to body fat loss diet is just what you eat so for me i am just more of pro fuel your body the way that you want to fuel it whether you're in a calorie surplus maintenance or deficit i just want you to do it in a way that's safe and sustainable yeah In a way that makes you feel your best and perform the way you want to. I say often that I don't really care what you do. I mean, it makes no difference on my life whatsoever. I just want you to understand why you do it. You know, if it's fueled by fear, if it's fueled by misinformation, like a lot of these fad diets are, because I am the same. I'm not anti-diet across the board. Um, Like I said earlier, like if you don't like breakfast, don't eat it. And I guess technically you're intermittent fasting, but you don't have to label yourself that, you know? Yeah, it's I want you to understand this stuff, you know, how it works and the mental part plays into all of this. It can't not. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. And I mean, no matter what we're talking about, we're going to sprinkle in little bits of it just because it's all tied together. You know, you can't get away from it. (laughs) You, You can't get away from it. Food is connected to us in very, very personal ways. It's culture. It's mm-hmm. geographic location. It's accessibility. It's financial security. It's there, There's so much that it ties into with your life that you can't not talk about the mental aspect. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a good place to end it because we could talk for another two hours about all of it. <laughs> Sorry about the tangents, guys. We just get really passionate. I'm not. <laughs> 
I'm I'm secretly not. Just yeah. You know, sorry, not sorry. But thank you for joining us today, guys. We really, we really appreciate you listening and just appreciate you in general. You the best. You the best. Thanks for hanging, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at Get You a Brooke. We'll talk to you soon. Nice. Nice. <laughs>